If you'll uh, take your Bible and open up with me to uh, Luke chapter 6. We are in the middle of a a sermon of Jesus's, a a sermon that he preached. And uh, we've uh, looked at the introduction, the way he begins in verses 20 through uh, 26 a couple weeks ago, which was shocking. If you follow me, Jesus is like, you will be mistreated. That's normal. And then we spent the last couple weeks in verses 27 through 38, which was shocking as well. You're supposed to love the people who are mistreating you, to be merciful. And today we're going to be looking at verses 39 through 45 and continuing to talk about the importance of being merciful. It's connected. It's like this is what is going to happen if you're one of my followers, and this is how I want you to respond. Love your enemies. Love, love, love. That's this whole section. Love. Be merciful. How it's going to be, what you're supposed to do, and uh, now why. Today uh, is the why. Almost like Jesus is making an argument for that, for those commands, for loving your enemies, and specifically for uh, showing mercy, for being generous. Verses 39 through 45. This is why it's so important you don't just read this command in the Bible, but that you actually obey this command. Like an argument, almost, a a case. We we need to do this. This needs to be true of us. And I I feel like we need to make this argument, to look at this argument, even though we've kind of been over it a little, because obeying this command is hard. Loving in general is hard. It's hard to even just love your neighbor. But loving difficult people is especially hard. Having a generous spirit is hard. It's rare. Jesus knows that. He did this. He did what he's calling us to do, so he knows it's hard. First of all, because it's your enemies. Love your enemies. That's the command, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, people who are opposed to you. And how opposed? They hate you. Verse 22, you see that? You ever have someone hate you? They criticize you. They revile you. They exclude you. Revile means harshly criticized. This is someone out to get you. Constantly finding fault with you. They spurn your name as evil. (laughs) Spurn means throw out. They throw out your name as evil. So they're lying about you your character. They're saying you are something you're not. You are evil. They are the ones who are evil. But they're saying you are evil. That's their attitude towards you. But what do they do? If you go down to verse 28, they curse you. Jesus is talking about people who curse you, people who abuse you, people who strike you on the cheek, people who humiliate you, people who steal from you, people who take advantage of you, people who have no shame. People who take advantage of you by begging from you, which sounds maybe, verse 30, like that's a little bit out of place. But what Jesus means is that even after they've done all this persecuting, when they're in trouble and their life suddenly turns around and they're in a bad place themselves, they're so shameless that they come back and they want to use you. (laughs) These are uh, enemies, real enemies. And not just your enemies either. In this 
context here, they're enemies of you because of their attitude towards Jesus. So they are Jesus's enemies, which makes them evil. We know they're evil if they're Jesus's enemies. Jesus is talking about evil people. And what is he calling us to do? Verse 27, verse 35, love them. Love your enemies. Verse 36, be merciful. That sounds hard. And it sounds harder if you look at what Jesus means. What does it mean, this command, in real life? You remember? We tried to get some of the wrong ideas out of the way, which is important as well. Because like we said, it doesn't mean Jesus isn't saying we start calling evil good. That's not what's going on. This is hard, but we don't want to make it harder than it is, or a different kind of hard than it is. It doesn't mean you start calling evil good. So I was reading some of the older writers this week, the Puritans, and they would look at this command to love, to love your enemies, and talk about love and what it meant to love, and they would kind of divide love up. So they would talk about a love of complacency, which sounds a little bit funny, but what they meant back then was good pleasure. And what they were talking about was the kind of love that God the Father has for God the Son. So when God the Father looks at God the Son, he is loving someone who deserves it. Everything he sees in God the Son is beautiful, and so his love overflows for him. But that's not the kind of love that God the Father has for us in and of ourselves, at least before we were placed in Christ, because we were not worthy of his love. And so there's also a love of benevolence. And that's God loving his enemies, people who don't deserve it, which is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. He's not calling us to be naive or to ignore sin or to pretend like people are different than they are. Oh, you're persecuting me. That is so beautiful. No, we're supposed to hate sin. And that's sin. We're supposed to lament over it, to grieve over it. So this is not calling evil good, and this is not codependency or like Stockholm syndrome or something like that either. The Puritans also, when they would talk about evil, uh, not just love, they would divide evil up as well. And they would say that when someone does evil, different things are happening. So uh, when someone does evil, he may be doing evil to you personally. There's a personal loss that happens. And as he's doing evil to you, he may be doing evil against the law. So it's like a crime. It's against you, but it's also against the government or society. And then, of course, he's also doing evil against God. And then this passage, I don't think Jesus is talking about how to handle crime, breaking the law, or about whitewashing the seriousness of what people are doing to God, as much as he's talking about the way you act and your attitude toward people who are doing you evil personally. So we're talking about how you deal with that personally. And Jesus is calling you, first of all, to treat them pretty much the opposite of how they are treating you. So they're doing you evil, but you do them good. They are cursing you, and you are blessing them. They are abusing you, but you are praying for them, which is going to be painful. Of course, Jesus knows that what he's asking you to do is going to be painful, <laughs> Verse 29, he says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And that's a little humbling as well. And Jesus knows that it's going to involve humiliation. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And your tunic is your shirt. This is someone who's stripped you of your jacket 
and now he's coming after your shirt. That's hard. Again, that's a hard command if we stop there. But Jesus doesn't. It's not just actions that he's talking about. It's actually an attitude. He takes it a step further. He says, be merciful. And merciful means be compassionate. Have, have pity. It's the opposite in verse 37 of judging and condemning. It's forgiving and giving. This is a generous spirit. So in real life, you sit and you listen to someone gossip. What are they doing? They are judging and condemning. They have found evil in another person, something they don't like, that they judge is wrong, and now they're criticizing for the purpose of tearing that person down. That is the opposite of being merciful. Even though they might be right about the evil, that's not really the point. The point is their attitude. I've looked at this person. I've evaluated this person. I get to do that. I have the right to do that, and I have the ability to do that, and I am going to punish them in the way that I can through my words. Even though we're both sinners, even though we're both made in the image of God, in some way, I actually am superior to them, and so I have the right to be hard toward them, to criticize them, to find fault with them, and to look down on them. That is the merciless person. On the other hand, you, you meet someone, and clearly in the way they talk, they want the best for that person. It's like they're looking for a way to believe the best. It's like they're looking for a way to hope the best. You ever meet someone who's hard to gossip to? They somehow take your gossip and they turn it around and use it as an opportunity to love the other person. And the conversation's all of a sudden positive and you're like, wait, how did that happen? That's being merciful. It's like they have a generous spirit. They're not just being nice. They're not just being polite. They're not just pretending. There's some kind of warmth in their soul toward that person as a person. Not toward their sin, but toward them as a person. They want them to repent. They want them to do what's right. They want them to prosper in terms of true prosperity. And that's hard just in general. And especially, it's especially hard when you feel like you've been wronged by someone. It doesn't come natural. It's not our instinct. What does come natural? What is our instinct? Let me show you this. Uh, you're not going to like it, but the Bible says it. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another hated by others and hating one another. So we're good at hate. We're good at malice and envy. That comes natural. But you say, maybe, wait, people are loving. I've seen people be loving. And yeah, Jesus knows that. But he says in verses 32 through 35 of Luke chapter 6 that we're loving to people who love us. We do good to those who do good to us. We lend from those whom we expect will pay us back which of course is not a negative thing in and of itself. It's good to a certain extent that we naturally do that. That's part of God's kindness to us. Because imagine if the world wasn't mostly like that. One reason the world is a livable place is because if you are kind to people, 
they generally will be kind to you. I mean, that's part of how babies finally uh, learn to stop crying. Uh, they, they figure out crying doesn't work. Smiling works better. And we're glad they do. That's good. But Jesus is calling us to something bigger than just comes naturally, which means that if we're going to obey this command, this is going to take work. If we're going to be merciful, we're going to have to think about this. We're going to have to make a decision. It's going to require us to go in a different direction than we normally would. And you know, a different direction than most people would. Because it's not just our instincts that are against this passage of Scripture, this section, what Jesus is saying. It's also the world that's against it. The way uh, people out there normally think about how life works and the advice they give us. It's like John Calvin said many years ago, this is a notion that the human mind cannot even entertain. This kind of mercy, this kind of love for people that you don't like or that are out to get you or that hurts you. So even if you think about the advice that people give you, that they typically give when someone's mistreating you, maybe as an example, or uh, is doing something you don't like. They say things like, you can't just let people run over you. Or you've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to learn to stand up for yourself. And sometimes they will tell us to attack back, for sure. Even dads tell their kids that. And if they don't, they have uh, funny reasons for not doing so. Like, you know what? Let it go. Let it go. It's going to be too much trouble if you try to fix it. Just pretend like it doesn't bother you. Or, or don't do anything because that's how you can prove that you're a better person than they are. Be the better person. Show that you are superior to them. It's like an act of revenge. <laughs> Ignore it. You know how you can really make them feel bad? Just act like you didn't even notice. That's how we normally think, even in the church sometimes. We know, of course, that there are things we can't do. If you've been coming to church for long enough, we know we can't attack back and that we've at least got to be polite. Maybe we've got that, though nowadays you don't know. But inside, we can give ourselves a lot of excuses when it comes to our heart, what's going on in there. And we say things like, you know what, I'm not mad at them. I'm not mad at them. I'm, I'm not bitter, but let me tell you. And then we're off. You know, then we feel like as long as I say I'm not mad, then we can say anything we want about them. And we can be very critical, very angry, very self-righteous, and so quick to believe the worst. And we can think about things we don't like about them over and over and over and over. If we see something that is questionable, we decide they're wrong, even if we don't have the evidence to prove it. We're just like, I can tell by the way he looks. I can see it. We just write them off without being willing to even accept another way of looking at it. And sometimes we don't even feel that badly about it, to tell the truth. We get confronted and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They did something bad. They did something I don't like. And you know what? You need to sort of get off my back because all I'm doing is responding according to what they deserve. This is just the normal 
standard approach to life. And it's the way almost everyone in society works. There is not a lot of mercy out there. And it can make sense to us. It can feel so natural to be hard like this, to be negative, to be critical, to be tough, especially, especially when we think someone is sinning against us. It's not our instinct. It's not the way the world normally works. And yet, you know, it's important. It is really important to Jesus that we learn to love our enemies. One proof is this passage here in Luke 6, the way this is set up. So obviously everything Jesus says is important, but this is a particular moment, Luke chapter 6. Remember that Jesus is being rejected by the religious leadership, and so he goes up on this mountain to pray, to meet with God and to pray to God, and then he chooses 12 apostles, and he comes down with these 12 apostles, and he stands on a level place, which was a statement. It's like a division is starting to happen there in Israel, those who are for Jesus, those who are against Jesus. And we've got Jesus looking almost like Moses here. You remember Moses coming down the mountain to speak with Israel, to give God's law to Israel. This is the kind of people we're supposed to be. This is what is going to set us apart. This is how we're going to fulfill the mission God gave us. And so Jesus is coming down the mountain with his 12 apostles to speak with his followers. And this is what he chooses to speak about. This is to be one of our distinguishing qualities as followers of Jesus, how we fulfill our mission, loving people, even really difficult people who mistreat us, which becomes something that the New Testament writers talk about over and over. That, that's another proof this is important. And, and yet, if you ever have a chance to sit down with someone and call them to obey these commands, to actually love their enemies and be merciful, you know it's going to be hard. You ever try to tell someone who feels like someone else is mistreating them to be merciful? It's hard. Sometimes for you to say. Sometimes for them to listen. I mean, this is not a popular command in our culture right now. Even with all the nuances we give. Like, I don't mean this, I don't mean this. Even with all the nuances we give, people still have big objections to this. Which is why I want to look at this sermon again and notice the reasons that Jesus gives as to why we should be serious about obeying this command. Why does he say this? Here we go. An argument for mercy, for loving your enemy, in action, in attitude. Six reasons. And the first few I can fly by because I've already mentioned them as we worked our way through the passage, but I kind of want to gather them all together here, almost as if I'm trying to counsel you or, or me. Love your enemies, show mercy. And we'll get to our verses in a minute. But first, review, starting back up in verse 32. One reason to show mercy are the benefits. It is good for you. If you go back to the question Jesus asked in verse 32, he's given a command, and now he asks a question. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? And think about that last phrase for a minute. What benefit is that to you? Because it's a little bit strange in that it, it seems like there's a lot of benefit, honestly. <laughs> that would normally be the argument for, for doing it, in fact. What do people say? You need to figure out the kind of person that you're dealing with. And if he's a good person, you give him a break. You love him. If he did something bad to you, give him a break. Because it's probably going to work out for you. 
if he's a good person. Which is what is funny about the way Jesus asks this, because it's like he's expecting a no answer instead. What benefit is that to you? It's like, love your enemies. Instead of figuring out who's going to respond well, figure out who is probably not going to respond well and love them, because if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? There's no benefit to you. Which means what? What does Jesus mean? Because obviously, he doesn't mean it's wrong to love those who love you. That's good. There's just no benefit. Especially if you're just doing it to get something for yourself. There's no benefit. But wait, because there is a benefit, right? <laughs> there, there is a benefit right now. That's why you did it. But Jesus isn't just thinking about right now. He has a different worldview than we do sometimes. And so, yeah, if you think of everything in terms of this life right now, Loving your enemies and showing mercy doesn't make much sense at all. It's like, uh, you ever hear the story of the young couple uh, that heard John Piper speak on risk? I don't know if you've heard this story. Uh, he's a preacher, John Piper, and he, he said, risk is right. And he was calling on people to go to hard places for, for Jesus. And so they listened to this sermon, they're there, and they decide to go to this closed country. And you know what happened? Almost right away when they got there, I don't think it was maybe a month or two, the husband died. He was shot and killed, which is so sad. And you can feel like that's the worst tragedy. I heard that and I was like, what? That's terrible. But it's not really the worst tragedy, right? If there's more to this life than this life. And that's how Jesus thinks. That's the thing. That's why he's like, what benefit is that to you? Because he's not thinking about this life. He's thinking about what comes after this life. Because he knows he's come to establish an eternal kingdom. He's come to do something. He's come to set a plan in motion that God is going to accomplish. And he wants you to be part of that. And he wants you to enjoy that. And he knows that the way you act right now has some impact on what's going to happen then. And so if you love your enemies, you show mercy to your enemies, why would you do that? One reason is because that has benefit. It's good for you. Because guess what? Go down to verse 36. Jesus promises, your reward will be great. Love your enemies. Show mercy. Reason one, it will actually benefit you long term. More even than just loving those who love you. You say, is this works or something? No, this is not works or something. Because thinking like that requires faith first that God is good and that God rewards those who seek him, which is part of why this honors God so much. When you seek reward in heaven this way, you're saying, I believe, God, that you are going to keep your promise to Jesus. You're going to establish your kingdom enough to obey even when it's hard. Reason number two, because of your relationship with God. You're a Christian. You're adopted. You're part of God's family. And this is what your father's like. Your father is merciful. And I know we highlighted this last week, but look at verse 36. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. And so he's assuming we're Christians there, right? Your father. Being a Christian means God's your father, and your father is merciful. But if you look back at verse 35, he says it a little different right before. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, 
for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. And notice there right in the middle, you will be sons. You, you are sons, verse 36. You will be, verse 35, which almost sounds like love your enemies so that you can be. But what he probably means actually is that this is how you prove you're part of God's family. It's not love your enemies so that you will become part of God's family because the next verse he says you are. It is love your enemies because this is how you demonstrate you're part of God's family, that you really are sons of the Most High, which is part of what makes being unloving and unmerciful scary, actually. Because if, it, if that's a consistent pattern, it might be that you're not part of God's family, even if you can say all the right words. There's a pretty important book on idolatry by someone named Greg Beale, and the title is We Become What We Worship. And that's also the whole book, basically. So you get the title, you get it. We become what we worship, which is why people who worship false gods are ruthless. Because false gods are ruthless. But the true God is not. He is merciful. And one proof you know him, you're connected to him, is that you become like him as well. It's funny, I was thinking this week about how uh, me talking about us showing mercy to our enemies, we can think that's so hard. Like, this is a challenging command. It's convicting. It's so hard. But you know, me talking about God showing mercy to his enemies, we love that. That doesn't sound hard. That's easy to hear. That's beautiful. God loves his enemies. But actually, if you think very long about that easy thing, God showing mercy to his enemies, and you understand that, and you appreciate that you were his enemy, and the kind of mercy he showed you, you really are worshiping God and enjoying that. That is what leads you to the hard thing. You show mercy to your enemy. Of course, you show mercy to your enemy because your father has shown you such mercy. Three, reason number three is maybe a little more negative, but show mercy, love your enemy, because there are consequences to not obeying this command. So if we look at verse 37, what does Jesus say? He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. And then he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. But we could flip that. Forgive not, and you will not be forgiven. Because in Matthew 6, 15, Jesus actually says that. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And this is kind of a theme in the Bible. James makes a similar argument in James 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. <laughs> mercy triumphs over judgment. If you look at how you treat others who do you wrong, you should get a glimpse of how God is going to treat you. And obviously, Jesus knows it's not always going to be easy for us. And even for someone who is saved and who is a Christian, they're still a sinner. And so there are going to be times where you may struggle to forgive and to not be bitter and to show mercy. But if you are a Christian, you are always going to struggle toward mercy. Always. You're going to struggle toward mercy. 
And if you don't move that direction eventually, if you're like, you know what? It's okay for me to constantly be thinking negative thoughts towards this person. I just can't not do it. And I'm going to hold on to this grudge, and I'm going to lean into the bitterness, and I'm going to make it so hard for this relationship to ever be reconciled. No matter what that person does, it's going to be wrong for me. I'm, I'm not going to really forgive them. Then guess what? There are consequences. You are not going to be forgiven. Judgment is merciless to the person who doesn't show mercy. Why? Because it's sin. Listen, not loving your enemy is sin. And maybe that makes you a little mad, actually. Me not loving the person who's doing bad is sin. Now you're putting this on me? Really? Really? One reason it's obvious it's sin is because vengeance doesn't belong to you. That's not your role. That's not your job. So think about this. If I see someone speeding, do I get to drive after them, pull them over, and hand them a ticket? No. Why? Because I think speeding is good? Is that what I'm saying? When I don't get in the car and chase after them and give them a ticket? No. It's because that's not my role. And what if I did? What if I started doing that? Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go put on a policeman's hat, if they wear hats, and uh, I'm going to go around and uh, do what policemen do. I would probably get in trouble, right? Even if I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing the wrong thing because that's not my role. And it's not your role to execute vengeance in this life. It's not your role to be the judge of sinners. That's God's role for a lot of reasons. He's good at it. You can trust him. But it's not your job to try to be God. And if you try to take God's job for yourself, you're thinking of yourself way more highly than you ought. That is serious pride. And it's sin. I guess another way to see that it's sin is by remembering you are the recipient of mercy yourself. God has shown you more mercy than he's ever going to ask you to show someone else. If you uh, see someone sinning against you, it's like you're getting a small picture of the way you've sinned against God, times a lot. And yet, how's God responded? By sending his son to die in your place. And so what's going on when you're so hard on them? Because here you are, and you are someone who has been forgiven of every sin, someone who's going to live forever, enjoying God's unending grace, and you didn't earn it at all. You realize, like, there's not one second in the next billion years in eternity that you're going to be able to look at and say, I earned this. It's all mercy. It's all a gift. And yet, you're not willing to show mercy to others. This is a big deal. And one reason it's a big deal is because that is some serious ingratitude, if you think about it. I mean, should one sin be committed against you be so unforgivable when you have committed a hundred million against God and yet he's given you all this? Who are you in comparison to him? Who do you think you are? 
That's sin, and there are consequences. And I know, of course, in real life, it's not easy, easy like that because we're people, and we get hurt, and people are really difficult, and they do really bad things. But this is part of why we have to be preaching to ourselves, not just listening, preaching. I need to show mercy. Why? One, there are benefits. This is a way of God being good to me long term. He's not just messing with me. This is my father. He's, he's giving me this as an opportunity for my long term good. Two, it's a way I demonstrate that he really is my father because I know he's merciful. And three, it might be revealing something pretty scary about me if I'm not willing to obey. Now, uh, reason number four, and we're finally at our text today, verse 39. You need to listen to Jesus here because your ideas aren't as good as you think they are. I know uh, you don't like someone or they hurt you and you've got a plan, probably different than Jesus's. But our plans that we come up with ourselves on our own aren't going to take us anywhere good. And that's long, but I don't have a quick way of saying it. But that's the point, I think, of verse 39. Luke says, he also told them a parable. And who's them? His disciples, those who hear. And so he's still talking to his disciples. And Luke says, he also, and that word also is a connecting word. In fact, you could even translate it. He told them another parable, which is a different use of the word parable for us. But Luke sometimes uses it to describe a short little word picture. And Jesus already gave one in verse 38 when he talks about the way God will give to us. You remember? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. That's a kind of parable, a word picture here at least. And in verse 39 now, Jesus continues on with this theme of being merciful and not judging by adding another parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Which is not really a difficult answer, a question to answer, obviously. If you're blind and you need to get somewhere, you don't want another blind person to be guiding you. The results aren't going to be good. Like Jesus explains, will they not both fall into a pit? And that's not just a ditch, the word. It's a massive hole. And what he's saying is that we need guidance. We all need guidance, especially when we're in relationships with sinful people. We're kind of like the blind man. We need somebody to take us by the hand and show us the way to go. But we, be, we better be very careful about who we're allowing to guide us like that. Because if we're blind and we allow someone who's spiritually blind to guide us, then we're going to end up not just lost, but spiritually stuck in a big old hole with a hard time ever getting out. And if you think someone telling you to show mercy is hard, at the end of the day, being confirmed in, in your critical, bitter spirit is much harder. And so while we might initially, when we first hear it, want to turn away from what Jesus is saying to find advice that is easier, the reality is that's going to have devastating consequences for us personally, a little like looking to a blind person to show us the way. It's kind of like, you know what it's like? It's like if you're blind physically, imagine, and you want to go a certain way, and you have your mind made up to go this way for some reason. You're like, I'm blind, but my other senses, they're so strong. So I just know this is the way. And then someone comes up, and he tells you, uh, you better not take that way because a, a few steps in, there's a huge hole you can fall into. And he tries to take you in a different direction, but at first, the direction he's taking you is, is kind of hard. Maybe it's uphill. 
And so you start to feel tempted. I think I can probably make a better plan. My way, uh, I think it might have been better. And then another person comes and says, forget that way, man. That way is too hard. Just go how you wanted to go in the first place. You might really want to listen, but even though it might be a little tempting because it seems easier, it shouldn't be difficult to make a choice who to listen to if the person who's agreeing with you is blind as well when the other person sees, right? Choosing between a blind person and a seeing person for directions shouldn't be hard. You want the person who sees to lead you, and Jesus sees. He sees. That's the thing. This command to be merciful comes from someone who sees. And you know, honestly, there are a lot of people out there who do not see. And you have a responsibility not to listen to them, even if it's really tempting. And it will be tempting, because apart from Jesus, you do not see as well as you think you do either. And I think that's part of the point here. It's like a warning. Can a blind man lead a blind man? No. And you're the blind man. Apart from Jesus, you really are. Which should make you really, really dependent on what Jesus says, right? If I'm blind and I've got someone next to me and I'm walking through a dangerous world, you know what I'm doing? I'm holding his hand and I'm not letting go. And that's what you need to do with Jesus. Not so much arguing. He sees. You can ask for help, of course. You can say you're scared, but don't forget he sees. And hold his hand and keep going the way that he wants. Five, reason number five. The goal of discipleship is for you to be like Jesus and loving your enemy, showing mercy to those who don't deserve it is a big way of how he helps you become like him. Verse 40. A disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. And I think Jesus is talking about himself. And he's saying, if we're going to be his disciple, which is the context for the whole sermon, everybody's coming wanting to be his disciple, and he's like, bang, if you want to be my disciple, it means loving your enemies. And now we might be like, wait, Jesus, can't I just be your disciple and do what I want? And Jesus is saying, actually, no. Because a disciple is not above his teacher. This is part of what it means to be a disciple. There is teacher and there is disciple. There's the person who says what to do and there's the person who learns what to do. And Jesus is the teacher and you are the disciple and you are not smarter than Jesus ever. You're not above him. And yet it's so easy for you to begin thinking that you are and that you are actually smarter than he is, especially when you don't like what he's telling you to do. Which is why you need to remember that when you became a disciple of Jesus, you were putting yourself under him. You were choosing to submit to his leadership, and it doesn't mean much to put yourself under Jesus and submit to his leadership and come to learn from him if you will only listen when he's telling you what you want to hear. If you say, Jesus, I'm a great follower. I will always follow you when you agree with me. That's not submission to his leadership. Jesus, I will learn with, from you when you say what I already thought was true. 
That's not being a disciple. And so, of course, you might be like, loving your enemies, be merciful. Yeah, right. Are you kidding? But that's why you came to Jesus, to learn, to put yourself under him. And that means you don't have a right to go beyond what he says and make up your own plan when his plan sounds uncomfortable. And no matter how confusing things might be, you know you're heading in the right direction spiritually when you're learning to be more merciful because that's exactly how Jesus lived, isn't it? And, and, and the goal is to be like Jesus. That's the goal of discipleship. It's not just for us to know a lot of information about Jesus, but to be like Jesus. Jesus says, everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher, will be like, not just know his teacher, not just know facts about his teacher, will be like his teacher. And our teacher, as Christians, was nailed to the cross for his enemies. And when he was on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And now he's calling you to follow. You follow a crucified savior. That's who is your teacher. And so you may not be, you may be like, God, I don't know why this certain person is in my life. And, and, and you're like, God, why is this so hard? Wouldn't it just make more sense if I just canceled them? And of course, I don't know all the details. I don't know all the details. But I'll tell you one thing that at least you need to think about. You need to think about what if this was an opportunity God was using to help you be like Jesus? Reason number six, and maybe you have enough already. Uh, but we can come up with a lot of excuses, so we need a lot of reasons. And I know in the details of life, there's, that's part of why we have a church when we're, when we're working with someone, is it does get complicated and confusing. But that's part of why you have brothers and sisters to talk about what does it look like for me to be merciful toward this person. And there's times when we need to think things through. That's even part of how the church works. There's something called church discipline, which is a kind of mercy. And so there are things we need to think through, but we need to think them through and struggle toward biblical mercy. And yet, because it's so hard, we need a lot of motivation. And so Jesus is giving us motivation here, and this is the sixth reason in verses 39 through 42. And it seems like Jesus is maybe moving here from specifically thinking enemy, enemy, to more generically talking about being merciful in general with people you're having troubles with, and even with people that you might call brother, which is sometimes just as hard, honestly, people who are close to us, and sometimes harder. We have less hope for them than we have for others. And yet, you know what? God can change people. Listen to me. God can change people, and he can use you to help them change. But, and this is a reason for mercy, you won't be of any help to anyone until you learn to be less judgmental and more merciful. It's kind of ironic because when you're being judgmental or critical or hard, why? Why are you being like that? It's because you're seeing all these problems in that person. That's part of what judgmental means. But the ironic part is that even if you see all these problems and you're right, you won't really be able to help them change until you've learned what it means to be merciful yourself. Jesus puts it like this in verse 41. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. And the, the speck is a, is a small flake of wood or straw. And so this is an illustration. But it's like, here's this tiny little piece of dust and a log. A log is the main beam of a building, so it's huge. And the speck is in someone else's eye and the log is in our, our eye when we're being unmerciful and judging and condemning and not forgiving and not giving. And yet somehow it's like, even with this log, the unmerciful person has the ability to spot the tiniest speck of dust in someone else's eye, while at the same time missing the fact that there's, a, there's basically a whole tree coming out of his, which is a problem. And it's a problem not just for us, if we're the person being unmerciful, that's the thing. It's a problem for the other person. Because if we're constantly so negative and highly critical of other people, if we hold grudges and are bitter and we aren't generous towards sinners, then it's like we have this major log coming out of our eye, which hurts us, of course, but also others, because it means there's no way we're going to be able to help them with what's going on in their life, at least until we deal with that, which is where Jesus goes next. Verse 42, he says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, like you self-deceived person. How could you actually think that would be helpful? Which is kind of funny because a lot of unmerciful people think that a lot of times. They think that they're really being helpful. And maybe they think that because they're right. They do see the speck. I'm such a good speck seer. I'm a great at that. But they can't figure out why the other person's not listening. And they blame the other person. But look, they're not listening because not loving people is having a log in your eye. And so obviously, if you have a, a log coming out of your eye and you're like, hey, hey, can I help you with that speck? I'm going to be like, man, don't you see the tree in your own eye? Don't you be touching my speck. And you might be like, but look, it's a speck. I see it. Let me take care of that. But I mean, really, you're going to take care of that when you've got that log in your eye? No. How do you think you can see with that thing coming out of your eye? And you know what? You don't. You don't see as well as you think with this big old log coming out of your eye. You, you really think you can see, I know that, but being unmerciful, hard, unloving is a sign you really can't. It's a log. And so if you're a Christian and so hard on people, you need to stop making excuses and listen to Jesus. He's your teacher. No matter what you think you know about the Bible and what you think you know about God and the gospel, that hard, critical, tough, ungenerous attitude means you don't really know quite as much as you think you do. Something's not clicking. And so you need to go back and get that right so that you actually can help people with their sin, which is where Jesus goes next, the second half of verse 42. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And look, we really have to make sure we take this log out as a church. We have to be merciful. We have to be merciful. This needs to be our default, not judging, not condemning, forgiving, giving, for a lot of reasons. 
the future. It's going to benefit us. Our Father, God's been merciful to us. The consequences, if we're not merciful, and maybe we're not Christians and we're going to experience judgment. The danger of listening to our own ideas apart from Jesus, we're blind. The fact that we're his disciples and we want to be like him. And because part of why we're on the planet is because we want to help other people be like Jesus as well. And if we're not merciful, it's, it's not only going to take us in the wrong direction, it's also going to make it very difficult for us to lead anyone else in the right direction either, which is why it's vital we stop and evaluate what's going on in our hearts. And here's some application. Because I ask you what's going on in your, in your heart, and you say, of course I'm merciful. I am like such a merciful person. Look what I have to put up with. But one easy place to evaluate if that's true is in your everyday talk. And let's get really, really practical here. Like how you talk at home. How you talk at work when the person you're upset about is not there. You need to think about the way you speak because the way you speak reveals your heart, which is why Jesus begins verse 43 with the word for, almost like, let me explain how this works. I want you to deal with that log and think about your attitude towards others. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, which is simple enough to understand. It's an illustration. The root impacts the fruit, which means, of course, that if you want to know the fruit root, look at the fruit. Because I mean to change the illustration a little bit, verse 44, for each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And so just like we know a tree by its fruit, we can know if you get the gospel and are a follower of Jesus and are merciful by your fruit. And what's the fruit that helps us identify the root or kind of tree that we're looking at here? In verse 45, Jesus says, it's your speech. It's your speech. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And so this is not like every moment perfectly, but this is a pattern. If your heart is filled with good, it's going to produce good. And if your heart is filled with evil, it's going to produce evil. And what's the good? What's the evil he's talking about? The way you speak, right? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And so you want to know your heart? Look at your everyday speech, the, the pattern, especially towards people you don't like and you disagree with and maybe that are even sinning against you. And it's so important that you take a look because, you know, we like to think we're sweet, nice people. Who doesn't think they're a sweet, nice person? And we have all these proofs in our lives that we can bring up that we tell ourselves. We're like, hey, look, I love Marta. But who doesn't love Marta? But one of the things that, that really shows, what, that's my wife, if you don't know. But one of the things that really shows what's happening in our hearts is how we respond to people we think aren't good people. Because if we're hard and ungenerous and judging and condemning and unforgiving, that is going to show up in the way we speak. And if it's showing up in the way we speak, we can't ignore that. We have to take it seriously because it says something about what's going on in our hearts. Do we get the gospel? Do we really get the gospel? Because honestly, 
the only way you're ever going to learn to be merciful in your heart is if your heart has been deeply impacted by the mercy God's shown you in Jesus, which is why this is such a good test, because, you know, it doesn't make sense to be merciful toward bad people unless you've seen that you were bad people and God was merciful toward you and you've really felt that. And it doesn't make sense to forgive someone who's sinned against you in a significant way unless you realize you've been forgiven by someone much more important than you in such a significant way. And so, no, you really, ha you really have to evaluate. Am I a merciful person? Because the truth is it's easy to come to church and say the right things about the gospel. But it's another thing to really believe those things when you're out there living in a sinful world. And all too often, the way that we speak and relate to people as Christians makes it seem like we really believe we're kind of good people. That's what we actually believe, who deserve to go to heaven and who haven't sinned that badly against God in the first place. And so, you know, I would just say, as you look at your life, if you're the kind of person who's going around saying all kinds of bad things about people who is so good at being critical, if you're constantly negative, if you're holding this grudge against someone else, if you're the kind of person who deep down is really angry at others and won't let go of that anger and doesn't really even want help letting go of that anger, I want to say I know it's hard, <laughs> but ask yourself why again. Ask yourself why, really, why? Because I know you have all these reasons why you feel like you have the right to be angry. And maybe you say, yeah, it's going to make my life harder if I'm not, if I show mercy. But this life isn't the only life you have. You say, no one else would act this way. No one else would do this. But you're not like everyone else. God is your father. It doesn't make sense, you say. It doesn't make sense to act like that, to be kind to someone like that. But it does to Jesus. And apart from Jesus, you're blind. And he's the one who sees. And you know that. That's why you're his disciple. You put yourself under him. You want to be like him. And it's important you do because you know that reason that you're angry where you're like, hey, they are such sinners. The truth is, yeah, you're probably right. And if they don't repent, God's going to judge them. But that's not your job. That's not your job. Your job is to love them, to show mercy because you've shown mercy. So you should hope they experience mercy. And if they're going to change, you know what? God's going to use someone to help them. And that may even be why you're there. But you're setting yourself on the sideline with a bitter spirit. It's going to make it hard for you to help anyone else. In fact, if, if you do try to help them, you'll probably end up taking them in the wrong direction because a bitter root is going to produce bitter fruit. And long term, if that's if that's the fruit of your life, you need to stop worrying so much about what other people have done to you and think a little bit more about your own relationship with God. Because if you're not merciful, if you look at the way you speak and you're so hard, that's not just about you and the other person. It's about you and Jesus. And so you might ask, is it because I haven't experienced God's mercy through Jesus? Am I not a Christian? Or is it because even though you are a Christian, you're not enjoying the mercy that God's shown you through Jesus? And so first step, take your lack of love 
You may not know exactly what to do next, but this is a first step. Take your lack of love and, and your lack of mercy and all those failures to Jesus and see it as sin. Put down the excuses. Say, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this person right now, but I do know this bitter spirit, it, this is sin. No more excuses. And repent and believe that God is willing to forgive, that he, he loves you and is kind to you. Even though you knew better, you still had that in your heart, and he still is willing to forgive you. He's still willing to show you mercy. He's not putting you on the side. He's like, son, daughter, come here. I love you, and he's kind to you, even though you've been evil and ungrateful to him. And then ask him to help you and to help us as a church. This is hard. But help us learn to treat others the way that he has treated us. Let's pray. Lord, we know there are people here today, God, Father. We know there are people here today who have been truly sinned against and hurt and mistreated. And we just ask on their behalf, Lord, you are kind. And so I, I pray that this sermon on mercy wouldn't feel unmerciful to them, <laughs> uh, that we know that when people sin against us, it is sin, and it is grievous, and it deserves to be judged, and there's a place called hell for sinners, so it is a big deal, and yet, Lord, uh, we also know that you, you know the way. You know the way, and uh, you're showing us the way, and Lord, we don't, again, we want to be merciful in a way that's merciful we want to be wise in the way that we, we love, but Lord, we want to learn to love. Whatever that looks like, however that plays out, we, we at least want to learn to love. And so uh, we're not going to do it unless you do the work in us. And so we come to you and just ask again, Jesus, make us like you. And we know uh, that involves a cross, so we're not naive, but we also know that it includes a resurrection. And uh, you rose from the dead. And uh, part of the reason why we're here is because you uh, loved your enemies. And so uh, we put our faith in you. In your name we pray. Amen.